Hey, Ness. Hey, Em. So today we're going to talk all about fat. And this is probably my personal favorite micronutrient next to protein, probably. So I'm really excited to talk about this one. So welcome to Wellness Myths and our last episode of our macronutrient series. So we are going to be talking all about fat today. And I think that this episode, there's a little bit more to talk about with fat versus protein. It's like we mentioned, go back and listen to the protein episode if you haven't already. But like we mentioned with the protein, there wasn't a lot of really myths. Like protein has always been on top. Fat is kind of back on top now but hasn't really been on wasn't on top for a while and it's always kind of teetering yeah I feel like especially to a lot of the information that we covered in the protein and the carb episode we'd kind of already talked about in a lot of different episodes but aside from the keto episode where yeah we touch on fat but mostly just to like talk shit so like I'm ready to say some like really nice things about eating fat today <laughs> Yes, yes, because you want to eat fat, you just don't want to eat all fat. If that's not, like, everything summed up. Yeah, like, could we literally just say, like, we just don't want you to eat all of the same thing, and then, like, you'll probably be super healthy? That's, like, really all we need to tell people. And I think, historically, the reason fat kind of came out the chopping block is because it's high calories. A little bit of fat has a lot of calories in it. So people kind of got afraid of that and thought, oh, if we can cut that out, then, you know, we'll cut calories and it'll be better. Well, fat also contributes to satiety um, and feeling nice and full. So it's really an important part of your diet. So if we're thinking about it in comparison to our other two macronutrients, carbs and protein have four calories per gram and fat has nine calories per gram. So not shockingly, it's a lot denser than those other foods. And we're definitely going to get into kind of the history of the demonization of fat a little bit later in our episode. But Vanessa, can you tell us like what is fat and why do we need to eat it? Yeah, absolutely. So we have different kinds of fats and some of the fats we want to limit and the other ones are, you know, what we want to fill the majority of our fat calories with. So the ones that we want to limit, and most people can probably guess this, I hope that you're yelling it in your car, it's saturated fats. So you can think of these as the fats that turn solid at room temperature. They contribute to your LDL cholesterol, which is your bad cholesterol, and it lowers your HDL cholesterol, which is your good cholesterol, and increases triglycerides. So that is all not good things, especially if you are a heart patient or you have a history of heart disease in your family. So some examples of saturated fats would be things like butter, coconut oil, palm oil, palm kernel oil. Anything I'm missing there? That'd be like a big one. I think I think you pretty much covered it. So there's been a little bit of controversy over saturated fats in more recent years, um, wondering if it actually, you know, leads to heart disease and things like that. So some studies have found that saturated fat is 
not a risk of heart disease. And then others are still finding that saturated fat is associated with increase for stroke, cardiovascular disease, and coronary heart disease. So there is, you know, there, there probably needs more studies to come out, but I think it's pretty safe to say since we do know that it's contributing to bad cholesterol, that it probably is contributing to an increased risk of, you know, stroke and cardiovascular disease. So it is probably something we should limit in our diet. Oh, another a great thing to think of when you think of saturated fat is bacon. So when you're cooking bacon and the bacon grease grease hardens, that is all saturated fat. And you know that because it gets hard. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of this kind of diet culture tendency that we start to really vilify all animal products because there are saturated fats and things like bacon, as you mentioned, and butter, obviously, as you mentioned, too. And like, I'm not trying to do any anti-vegan propaganda, but I feel like nobody knows about coconut oil and the true saturated fat contents of coconut in general. And I feel like a couple years ago, like even when we were in college, people were like eating coconut oil by the spoon. Like coconut oil was all the craze. Oh, yeah. I remember like if you went to college with us, you'll definitely remember this. I remember like one of our classmates brought in a can of coconut milk and was like, look at this. Like there's so much saturated fat in this, guys. Like even we were like, wow, really? Like we learned about it in class and we were like, oh my God, like this is really intense. There's so much saturated fat, but yet like people are just eating it by the spoonful for weight loss supposedly. And there is definitely some evidence towards medium chain triglycerides, MTC, MCT oils in the coconut oil, but usually it's like a clarified and they're t- it's taken as a supplement. There's a whole lot of research behind that. But the research is not like so compelling to where like, okay, all these extra calories for this sort of weight loss goal is really even supported. And so just so going back to kind of the animal product vilifying train, butter is 64% saturated fat, okay, which is like a pretty high number. Coconut oil is 90% saturated fat. So that's like a lot more than butter. Yet the same people that are like frying everything in coconut oil are telling you about how butter and animal fats are going to clog your arteries. So I just always find that really interesting. Yeah, that is some anti-vegan propaganda. I can't believe I know like out of your mouth. I know someone's going to pull my card, but you know what? Honestly, you you know, I'm always talking about coconut because I eat a lot of coconut as a vegan. And so like in college, I would be like, oh, like I don't want to eat coconut yogurt or something like that. And Vanessa would always be teasing me, but I eat a lot of coconut already. So I'm like, I want to be, you know, mindful. I'd rather have something that, like a different milk base, basically. Yeah, I used to get really annoyed at Emily in college because she would be very cognizant of that. And I was like, okay, like. I understand. I was more on the, you know, saturated fats aren't all created equal. And I still think that's true. But at the same time, I don't think you should be like eating coconut oil for every meal because that's just obscene. There was definitely a time when everybody was putting spoonfuls in their smoothie. And the thing is, too, like when we're like Vanessa was talking about the connection with saturated fats to LDL cholesterol and 
there's so many reasons, even just aside from saturated fats, that you could be having high LDL or quote unquote bad cholesterol. You know, your liver is responsible for removing LDL cholesterol. So if you have a sluggish liver, that could impact you. Stress, alcohol, smoking, all those things negatively impact your cholesterol. And I just think it's so interesting because you don't really see people being vilified for having a glass of wine like they would for eating like a bowl of buttery, creamy, saturated fat laden pasta, even though the correlation that we have for alcohol is way and stress in general is way clearer that it doesn't support good heart health. So I just always find that so interesting how even something that does have a grain grain of truth in it, that saturated fats can increase your cholesterol will still be villainized by diet culture way more just because of what it is at the end of the day, which is fat. And coconut oil, a lot of people will desire to use it in baking or something like that. And that is fine to do. Again, we're not telling you to not eat coconut oil. We're just telling you probably don't put like gobs of it in your coffee because you don't need that much. Yeah, for sure. And maybe like for me personally, it it all goes back to kind of your own preferences, like a canola oil or vegetable oil, something like that is just as satisfying to me in a baked good. And so sometimes I'm like, okay, I'd rather just like throw some of that in here instead of coconut, coconut, as I know that I already get a lot of that in my diet through like vegan cheeses or ice creams or curries, all that kind of stuff. Mm hmm. And Vanessa, going back to what you had mentioned about smoke points, I think this is another thing that people don't really know about. And since it's completely entrenched in fat, because it has to do with oils, which are huge sources of fats, I think that people would really benefit from hearing some info on smoke points, too. Yeah, so this is a really interesting topic because this is an area where the recommendations have changed more recently. So we used to worry about cooking oils past their smoke point because it was believed that it would cause a release in harmful free radicals. So free radicals are unstable molecules that can cause damage to your body, so we want to avoid them where we can. So for example, it was not recommended to do high heat cooking with olive oil. So olive oil has a moderate smoke point around 350 to 400 degrees, while avocado oil has a smoke point of around 520. So it was considered to be a safer option for high heat cooking with avocado oil versus olive oil research has actually come out in more recent years showing us that regardless of olive oil's moderate smoke point, it's actually still a really great option for high heat cooking. So these studies found that even when olive oil was heated past its smoke point, it still was staying very stable. So it was not breaking down. Um, And so it was actually really good for high heat cooking. And it's believed that olive oil stability is due to its high content of monounsaturated fats and antioxidants. So for years, I was using only avocado oil for high heat cooking, but turns out it's actually perfectly safe and even beneficial to cook with olive oil. So cook away with that olive oil. Although I still love avocado oil as well, it's also great for your health. So those two are the main oils that I have in my Yeah, no, avocado oil is a great one. I think you turned me on to that initially, and I still use it all the time. I have coconut oil, but full disclosure, I have coconut oil to use in the bath. (laughs) So I'm not um, actually ingesting it. It is under my bath cabinet for like 
times that I've gotten really dry skin and I just put a little bit in my bathtub and then create like a huge hazard where my husband might like slip in the tub when he's trying to take a shower. Oh, yeah. I can't even tell you how many times my mom was like cursing my name in the shower as I would like use all these coconut oil sugar scrubs that I would make growing up. Yeah. Yeah. It can be it can be a little dicey because it just kind of like creates like that sheen on your bathtub, too. And it's kind of hard to get off because obviously it's fat. So yeah. it repels the water. Yeah. And it's I don't really think it's good for your drains either since like you're oh, supposed yeah. to be shoving oil down your drain. So then there's that whole drama, which yeah. I mean, I'm renting. So good luck, guys. <laughs> I'm not. I feel like it's kind of well, it's kind of like when you think of bacon grease, like not they tell you like not to pour yeah. bacon grease down the drain. Same kind of thing with coconut oil. It's no different. No, really not. We're just ignoring that fact. So now that we know all about saturated fats, um, unsaturated fats are the ones that we want to be eating the most of. So we have monounsaturated fats and polyunsaturated fats. And I won't get into the sciencey reasons why they're called that. It just has to do with their molecular chain and would be kind of boring. But those are the two fats that you want most of your fat intake to be comprised of. So monounsaturated fats are things like avocados, nuts, seeds, olive oil, olives. Um, and then polyunsaturated fats are things like walnuts, flax seeds, fish, flaxseed oils. And this is also where you're going to get your omega-3s. So your body can't make omega-3s, so it's really important to get them from food. A great way to get omega-3 is if you are a fish eater, eating fish two, two to three times a week. And if you are plant-based, then including things like flax seeds, walnuts, um, canola, or so soybean oil. And honestly, whether you eat fish or not, make sure you're getting those plant sources either way. I don't think most people are eating fish two, two to three times a week anyhow, whether that's, you know, you don't have access to fresh fish or maybe you don't like it that much. Um, so it's really, really, it's a really, really good idea to include those plant sources. And those are easy to throw in a smoothie in the morning or throw in your oatmeal. So it's not actually that hard to get those sources of omega-3s. Yeah, definitely. And keeping it kind of cost effective, I usually buy like a big bulk bag of flax seeds. You can even buy the unground and grind them yourself and that'll be even cheaper. And you can just keep them in your freezer so they last a super long time. And then you can just add a scoop whenever, like Vanessa said, oatmeal, smoothie, whatever. And that can really put you ahead on your unsaturated fat goals. And this is your reminder, too, that flax seeds do go rancid at room temperature, so you do need to refrigerate them. Or like Emily said, if you're having, if you're going to have them for a really long time, which most people do, if you get a big thing of them, um, the freezer is a good option as well. Yeah, definitely. That's going to shock some people for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So a really interesting article that I was reading was called How the Ideology of Low Fat Conquered America. And now that y'all know how to eat fat, what types, all the different information, I think we should talk about why fat's been villainized in our country. 
So ultimately, a lot of this has to do with money. So the food industry saw this low-fat, high-carb type of trend as an opportunity to create a whole new range of products. So we saw fat-free frozen yogurt, fat-free muffins, cookies, fat-free sour cream. And the kind of the idea was that we can take out the fat, but we're going to have to add something in. And it typically was lots of sugar. Okay. And this is something that's so frustrating and that I, I really wish that we could make a different assumption than like, oh, we can't have any fat. And then now we have to have a bunch of something else. And then now nobody wants to eat sugar. Um, the answer definitely lies in kind of the in-between here. And this study, this how the ideology of low fat conquered America is really going to give you a little bit more of an insight. So the biggest reason why we have a low fat diet, there's two kind of components, right? And the first component is that aesthetics, right? And this diet was at first adopted for those reasons. Even in like the 1920s, slimming kind of started being a thing, especially for female identifying people. And scientists and doctors didn't start promoting it for health until like the 50s-ish. This is after diet culture was already well on its way. Like, okay, don't eat fat because it'll make you fat. And then the other side of it with the medical portion is that we were seeing studies showing a correlation between high fat diets and high cholesterol levels, suggesting that a really low fat diet might prevent heart disease in high risk patients. Once again, this is like not controlling for any of those other factors that we talked about, like smoking or drinking or really high stress jobs, right? Or social isolation, right? We know that all of those things can lead to lesser cardiac outcomes, but this is just focusing in on the food. And by the 1960s, low fat diets started to be recommended by doctors and scientists as good for like the whole nation, right? We saw this, okay, well, cardiac issues are pretty prevalent and everybody wants to be thinner, of course, because we're pressuring them to do so and telling them that they're so unhealthy if they're not. So we all start kind of adopting this. And so after about the 80s, low-fat approach became the whole, the overarching ideology for our whole country. Physicians supported it, the government, food industries, and all the media was telling us low fat. And at this point, there still wasn't clear evidence that it really prevents heart disease or even promotes weight loss. And it's kind of funny, all of these, this study, this diet heart study that was proposed in the 60s and 70s to kind of test this hypothesis was abandoned due to funding. So it was a hypothesis that fat in our diets contributed to heart disease. And it turns out that everyone, since they already thought it was true, despite a lot of skepticism, we just decided to start adopting it. So we enshrined it in federal health policies and general diet culture anyways, which really reminds me a lot of what we've done about the science behind weight, thinking that people just automatically assumed that it was going to make you super unhealthy to be quote unquote overweight. And so we just sort of made policies and recommendations based on that rather than actual studies and actual information. And it's another really good point to remember is that high fat diets, like for example, if you're seeing like you have a really high fat diet and then that person has increased cardiac issues. Okay. But does that mean we need low, low fat or no fat in our diets? No, like I'm not understanding why we can't have medium fat, like just following the recommendations, following what feels good in your body and understanding that we don't need to go one end of the scale to the other. Right. Yeah. And I think this where is where 
I think this is where it comes in where not all fats are equal. So saying you're low fat is just low all of the fat, even those good fats like are monounsaturated and polyunsaturated. You know, maybe if you are a heart patient, you want to decrease your saturated fats, but you still want to be eating those good fats like avocados, nuts. Omega-3s are actually proven to be really beneficial for heart health. And I think the only assumption that we can make from all this information is that restriction total restriction of any kind never leads us to true health. Like we've seen carbs be restricted. We've seen fat be restricted in so many ways. And it has not led our country away from cardiac disease. There's still, hold on. I want to think about say that has not led our society away from cardiac disease. And a lot of the goals that according to scientists would be met weight wise, we're seeing this increase in body size, that's not undoing it either. And so even if we were to pathologize incorrectly, this sort of, you know, we see a lot of it referred to as the obesity epidemic, things like that. We're not healing that by doing all of this. So it it doesn't even matter. So it's like back to kind of dieting in general, like, yeah, you can try, but in a lot of ways, that's not what's supportive of human health. So I think the results that we've seen from restricting all these foods speak for themselves and people are still struggling with a disordered relationship to food and body image issues more than ever and eating low fat didn't solve any of it (laughs) and next time you're in the grocery store and you see something labeled as low fat um, you might be you know used to just picking that item and take a second to look at the label compare it to the full fat version and likely you'll see that you know the full fat version might have more calories but keep in mind so if it's something like sour cream for example how much sour cream are you eating anyway usually it's just a dollop right you're not like eating the whole jar in one sitting so maybe that full fat option is a better option because it might have less sugar, it might have less fillers in it, and it might be more satisfying because it has more fat, which is going to make you not want to eat as much of it. Totally. A little bit can go a long way. And then you're not sitting there still thinking, oh, I really wish I had that full fat option. It's kind of like the diet ice creams, like Halo Top or something like that. For some Yeah. For some people, they love that shit. That's fine. You know, that really like hits the craving for you. But for some people, it's like you're eating all of that Halo Top and really what you wanted was a full fat ice cream. And maybe you could have had, you know, a scoop of that and been fully satisfied. But instead, you're at the bottom of a pint of Halo Top wishing that there was more. Yeah. No, I want nothing to do with Halo Top. Give me like the MSU dairy store, like full fat. Like they have like obscene (laughs) amounts of fat in their ice cream. Like that's what I want. Totally. If you're going to do it, do it right. And in a way that really satisfies you. Yep. So I think we can kind of just leave everybody with our advice is to eat fat. Yeah. (laughs) You know, though, I I still remember this to this day. When I was little, my friend's dad, he used to, like, make, make us eat the fat off of meat at dinner, like, when we were eating at their house. Oh, wow. And yeah. I literally remember him always saying, you got to eat fat to get fat. And I was like, 
in my like little kid head, I was thinking like, but I don't want to get fat. <laughs> like, what oh are you talking God. about? It was such, I literally think about that all the time. It's just like so interesting how people can say weird things and it sticks with you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think especially uh, in diet culture and foods and bodies, and I think it's so easy to kind of remember all of these different things that have been in our sphere of influence for so long. And that's why it's kind of important to do all this unlearning work and realizing that maybe the ideas that you have in your head are not always true. Yes. So next time you're at the grocery store, think about why you're getting that low fat option and maybe consider getting the full fat option instead. And this is the end of our macronutrient series. So if you haven't already, go back, listen to our last two episodes about protein and carbohydrates, and then you'll be a total expert in the macronutrient category. Bye.